Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, get it, with your AEW all-out instant analysis. That's right, the Silver King is back once again, and we're here to break down everything that happened on Sunday night's AEW all-out pay-per-view, a ton of matches, a ton of surprises. We have an absolutely loaded show for you, and we are not going to waste a second getting to it. Vintage Chris Vanini will be joining me in a moment to break it down. But you know here on the Getting Over podcast, we remind you at the start of the show that Getting Over... So please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage Chris Vanini. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love the show. Tell them you love the instant analysis podcast that we do. You're so excited when they come out after pay-per-views. Give people reasons to subscribe and listen to the show. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do you see our tweets and episode releases, you get to join into our live pre-shows we do ahead of every pay-per-view for AEW and WWE. You also get to vote in our Twitter polls and send us questions for the show. So there's every reason to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. As I said, we are plowing through this intro. We're getting to the meat of the show. We have so much to talk about. However, the way we start every instant analysis podcast here at Getting Over is by cracking open a cold one. Give me a second. I don't have a can today. I have a bottle. All right, bottled beer is cracked. I'm drinking uh, from Boulevard Brewing in Kansas City, Missouri, a limited edition chocolate ale. I've been saving this for a special occasion. I think this is a special occasion. Chris, uh, welcome to the show. And uh, what do you have over there? I have a natty ice, baby. <laughs> I am in my Classic. parents' basement. That's This is a real wrestling podcast. I am uh, at home for the weekend. There was a family wedding. So I am coming for my parents basement walked over to the fridge right before we started recording and this was all that was in there so we're doing it hey we're drinking it's fine this is what we do uh for instant analysis we do not this is not a gimmick we do for every show it's only for these special podcasts for anyone listening to us for the first time but welcome to the show uh we have an absolute ton to talk about this is an all aew all out episode and yeah let's get right to it i don't want to really waste the time here chris because Man, we could probably talk about this for two or three hours, but our goal is to get this inside of like 60 or 90 minutes. As we always do, uh, before we talk about the show itself, we like to review the pre-show grades, the expectations that myself and vintage Chris Vanini had going into the show, as well as what all of you listeners thought on our AEW All Out Ultimate Preview that we taped this past Thursday. Chris, you thought the show was going to deliver an A-. minus. I was a little bit lower at B plus. As far as our listeners, they sided more with me. We had 32% chime in. They expected an A show, 58% expected a B that averages out to a B plus approximately. Uh, But that's 90% of the audience, uh, both listeners and I guess people who found the poll on Twitter, expecting an A or B show. And that's basically exactly what SummerSlam was. So they expected AEW All Out to be akin to one of WWE's biggest pay-per-views of the year in terms of the way it would deliver for them as fans. 6% C, 4% D to F. We throw those Ds and Fs out because there's no way this show is going to be a D or F in any possible way. So, Chris, um, you know, we'll talk about our post-show grades at the end, 
But I think we were all pretty much on point, right? On what the show could bring us and what the show ultimately did bring us. Yeah. And I said, you know, I was pretty close to you, but I said potential surprises at the end could push that up another half grade or a third grade, maybe. And uh, we kind of got that. We did. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with the main event. We'll talk about the match itself, the fallout after the match. And then we're going to go down the card based on what was the most important things that happened on the show. So not necessarily the order or the reverse order, I guess, the inverse that AEW gave it to us. But what we think is most important, what we want to spend the most possible time on all the way down the card. So we're going to start where AEW finished. And that was the AEW World Championship match. Kenny Omega versus Christian Cage. Christian soared from the top rope outside early. Omega put a table upside down atop Christian and stomped him from the ring apron. Back in the ring, Omega hit a Yushigoroshi as the crowd was either worn out from the show or maybe a bit bored because they just were silent throughout this match. Uh, Christian hit an inverted DDT and an avalanche swinging DDT for near fall. Omega roundhouse kicked him into the turnbuckle, following with two V-triggers and three Snapdragons. They fought on the ring apron until Christian speared Omega off of it through a table. He added another spear in the ring for a near fall, but Omega caught Christian with double knees and a frog splash. Uh, off a of frog splash, I should say. Uh, Christian started bleeding from the mouth a lot, and he got Omega in a cloverleaf when all of a sudden Don Callis called down the Good Brothers. Christian dodged a V-trigger that hit Doc Gallows and then countered a one-winged angel into a kill switch for a 2.8 count. Then Don Callis ran in as Christian was going to attempt a kill switch, like from the ropes. Instead, Omega grabbed him. He had an avalanche one-winged angel for the win to retain the title. So we're going to talk about the match, then we're going to talk about everything else that happened after the match, Chris. I thought the finish to this was actually horrendous, if we're just being honest. And most of the match, there were some key moments and bright spots, but most of this match was really dull. The final move, Omega's one-winged angel avalanche style, that, of course, was awesome. He said going in, the main event was not really about the match, but everything that could potentially follow the match. And it seemed like AEW almost tamped down the match, maybe as not to overwhelm the crowd, given how much had already happened on the show. Maybe I'm just thinking too much into it. It was not for me among the three or four best matches of the night. And there were plenty of great ones. I actually, shockingly, for a Kenny Omega match, I only went with 3.5 stars and a B for this. Yeah, I mean, I'd go maybe even a bit less. Their their Rampage match was better. It was maybe. better. I think, I think I'm being generous. I do. Yeah, yeah and, and I didn't think they built the end of this card right because it played out exactly like I expected, which was, all right, we all know Kenny's going to win. We're just waiting to see if something happens at the end. And Kenny and Christian really worked hard, but Everybody kind of knew what was going on. And if that's how you were going to end it with with big returns at the end, which we'll get to in a minute, don't lead into the championship match with Paul White and QT Marshall. They did the typical cool down before the main event, but the cool down continued well into the match. I think it would have been better to go from the punk Darby Allen match into this to keep the crowd up because the crowd never really got into it because it was a long night because we knew what the finish was going to be, and we knew what was coming at the end. So, uh, yeah, that that's why it kind of surprised me. But the, the match, it was okay. Again, it wasn't as good as the Rampage stuff. And, you know, the, this was 
that was exactly what I think a lot of us expected when they first announced Kenny versus Christian for All Out, which was, it'll be a fun matchup, but are people really going to be into it? Turns out, no. Yeah, they really weren't into the match, and there was a lot of anticipation, of course, built up for what could happen after the match. So let's get to that. That is what we really need to talk about on this show. And it's a shame. It's a shame that we're pushing aside a world championship main event to kind of talk about everything else that happened, but that's just what the show was about. So after the bell, uh, the elite came down and attacked Christian. Jurassic Express tried to make the save, but failed. And the crowd started chanting, yes. Omega grabbed the mic and said, no one is on his level. The only people who could ever beat him either aren't in AEW or are already dead. The light shut out and suddenly Adam Cole, baby, made his debut in AEW. He came down to the ring. You think he's going to stand up to Kenny Omega. Instead, he super kicks Jungle Boy and says there was no chance in hell. Of course, a call out to WWE. He would have joined AEW and not linked up with his best friends. The elite, the Young Bucks kissed him on the cheek. And of course, even Kenny Omega's reference to uh, people being dead who could stand up to him. Uh, yes. They killed off Adam Cole in being the elite and he turned him Amazing. into a ghost. So yeah. that was a reference to that as well. <laughs> uh, so all of that's happening. And the crowd's popping and Cole looked great and his entrance was great. And it was really exciting. And, you know, I still expected what was going to follow next. Yes. But a part of me said, hey, you know what? Maybe they swerved us with that to give us this, which is still a really rewarding finish to the show. But there was still a part of me was kind of waiting for something else to happen. Well, and then I, as I, I soon... Thought, Go ahead. Yeah, well, I thought Cole was going to come out and either just stand there and it goes to, it goes to credits... Or he walks in and stares it down and it goes to credit. Once they started talking, they realized, okay, this isn't over yet. There's That's more, when right? I knew what was coming next. Right. As soon as Omega grabbed the mic a second time, he's saying his goodbyes. And out of nowhere, Brian Danielson's music hits, the former Daniel Bryan from WWE. And he made his debut in AEW. Brian gets down to the ring. He hits a running knee to end the show. And the crowd loudly cheers for him with the faces standing tall, raising each other's arms, and clearing the ring of the elite. So then after the show, and this did not air on television, so I'm just giving a little extra here. And I did have a, a longtime listener of ours who was at the show, Nick Flynn at nflynn underscore 17. He sent me about eight minutes of video post-show, Daniel Bryan cutting a promo. So I have a little bit of extra insight here. But Brian, uh, I have to get used to saying Brian Danielson. I just realized I screwed that up. I, I've gotten, I, I, I transitioned to it better than I expected I would. I'm just going to call him Brian. It's the way easier to yes, do it that way. Yes, yes. Uh, Brian cut a promo after the show went off the air. He praised Chris Jericho, John Moxley, and all of the independent wrestlers who started AEW for doing a great job and putting their faith in the company. He then praised the fans for basically just being great fans and cheering for everyone within the company. And I can't tell you, how many times I've said on this podcast and elsewhere that AEW's fans are their greatest commodity. The talent's great. It's greater now than it ever has been. But the fans are their greatest commodity. And them placating them and playing up to their fans is very smart for business. Uh, he also said he joined AEW because he's a wrestler. And the crowd chanted, we want wrestling. So Chris, this was as wild an end to a pay-per-view as I can remember, I'm not saying it was the most like startling action packed finish, but it was so newsworthy and so headline making. And you could literally feel the tide of professional wrestling turn 
as these people made their entrances. Bringing out Cole when everyone was expecting and anticipating Brian was so freaking smart. Turning Cole heel, I guess you can call it, even though that makes sense, was a fantastic little touch to then bring Brian out afterwards. And then having Brian come out after not only Omega cheated to win a match, but then Cole super kicked Jungle Boy, a fan favorite. He basically got a double face pop, which maybe otherwise would have been a little bit more muted if it had happened immediately after. All of this, Chris, was exceptionally well done by AEW and Tony Khan. And we'll talk about ramifications in a moment. But in terms of what actually happened on our screens and what I told you happened after the show went off the air, AEW absolutely nailed this. Maybe there's a way it could have been done better. I can't necessarily think of it. They crushed it. And holy shit, Brian Danielson and Adam Cole are in AEW. Yeah, I had wondered if they were going to hold any of these for the the Arthur Ashe show in a couple weeks and in Queens, which will be to set their new attendance record. And you made the case, I think it was you made the case, basically like, get these out now to build up the TV before then. If you've got these bullets in the chamber, just use them. Like, don't, don't, there's no need to hold them. Just go boom, 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 boom. Get them after CM Punk, after Ruby Soho earlier in the night. And yeah, th- this, you know, to, to, to steal from John Moxley, like, that's a paradigm shift move right here. I mean, I mean, this move coupled with a couple weeks ago with CM Punk, like this was a far bigger move equivalent than Moxley himself. Like, yes, it was twice as big. And it's not because of the names necessarily, because John Moxley is a huge name. Well, I think it is because of the names. But it, but it was the moment. It was the feeling. It was ha- all of it happening on the same show where CM Punk returned after seven years. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it's it, this was a punk. And Brian are a completely different level of someone to add. Like, like I, I, I was, I was, I wasn't sure. I was like, "Hey, are they going to bring in Cole and immediately overshadow him?" But I, I assume he was cool with that. I, I'm sure they checked it all out. And I think the fact that everybody was good with doing that really highlights that they're all in it for the greater company, essentially. To, to do two at a time like that. You know, I think back to maybe Undertaker's return followed by Triple H's return right yes. from WrestleMania. That's the that, equivalent. That, that, that's basically the equivalent of, of what that is. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, just holy shit. You know, bringing in Brian and Cole, and we talked about this, uh, Brian going to AEW, there's probably nothing WWE could have done about it. There were reports, obviously, that him deciding to go there was in large part because of the freedom that AEW offers the limited dates, the ability to wrestle in New Japan and Mexico, all the things that Brian wants to do as a wrestler, which obviously he made a point of saying in that promo. But Adam Cole, man, just like Malachi Black, just like Andrade El Idolo, is a complete unforced error. But it's an unforced error for an even different reason than those guys. Like, WWE released Malachi Black for no reason whatsoever. At least they released Andrade because he requested it, okay? But they released Malachi Black less than a week after he returned to TV. Adam Cole, everyone thought had signed a new contract or added a couple years or whatever the case, but there was a paperwork error. And therefore it expired. He was nice enough to sign sign a couple months extension so he could finish his feud with Kyle O'Reilly. And 
All of this is happening while WWE is cutting more talent. They're firing Bronson Reed and getting rid of Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman. They're debuting Karrion Cross, making him look like an absolute joke. And you're talking to this guy in Adam Cole, who was the number one dude in NXT, a guy who is a clear-cut main eventer, the modern-day Shawn Michaels, and I know that comparison is tired, but folks, he talks like him, he wrestles uh, very high quality like him, and he looks like him a little bit, and he got trained by him too. So he is the modern-day Shawn Michaels, although he's much smaller, certainly. But that's a total unforced error where maybe if they had him under that two-year contract and they bring him to the main roster and actually use him well and push him appropriately, he never goes over there. Now, I don't think Adam Cole is what turns the tide, Chris. But it's the combination of everything that has happened, both in AEW and in WWE, over the last, I don't know, two months. It's the rash of releases. It's WWE going back to touring, and granted, Money in the Bank and SummerSlam were both very good shows. But despite having good pay-per-views, the raw television product has been absolute dog shit. They've released like another 30 people, many of whom were legitimate head scratchers. I've, I've already named them. And AEW has smartly picked up all of these names that WWE has made famous, not just you know nationally, but internationally. I mean, Adam Cole, NXT aired on WWE Network internationally. Bray Wyatt is not there yet, obviously. Braun Strowman isn't there, but these are people WWE fired. Aleister Black, they made him an NXT. They brought him to the main roster. They didn't use him well. Andrade, they made him an NXT. They brought him to the main roster. Didn't use him well. Those two and Cole are three NXT champions that AEW just signed. Daniel Bryan was in the main event of WrestleMania and wrestled Roman Reigns in an absolutely incredible match on SmackDown for his final match in WWE. And and WWE is basically just putting their hands out and saying, take this incredible talent that we don't know what to do with. And AEW and Tony Khan are like, uh, okay. Like, like it's, it's, (laughs) they have to be dumbfounded that all of these people are available. So kudos to AEW for hiring all these people. And, and we're leaving out obviously other people, uh, Ruby Soho, the former Ruby Riot. We'll talk about her later. She made her debut in AEW at all out. But they're picking up all these pieces. And now you look at WWE's roster, Chris, and you look at AEW's roster and you put them apples to apples, head to head. And there is zero question that as of tonight with CM Punk, with Brian Danielson and with Adam Cole, in addition to the recent additions of Malachi Black and Andrade Alidolo, AEW has the best men's wrestling roster in the world right now. And I say that even over New Japan, I know there's incredible talent over there. I get it. AEW has equal talent or better in many areas. They have the best men's wrestling roster in the world. And if WWE didn't see them as competition before, they better see them as it now, or it is going to cost WWE business. It's going to cost them ratings. It's going to cost them money. And they're going to look at this and look at Nick Khan and say, what the fuck did we just do over the last six months? Yes, it it was largely completely unforced, all the releases that you mentioned. But on top, I mean, like, 
I haven't been a fan of Andre Alilo since he came over to AW. They, they haven't nailed everything with all this. But what makes what has made the last two, three weeks different is that CM Punk, Dana Bryan, and Adam Cole chose AEW over WWE. This wasn't AEW just scooping up leftovers that WWE didn't want for some dumb reason. They are attracting the kinds of names that will that rival Roman Reigns on terms of just big name things that people know about. Like the number of times that Twitter has been taken over by wrestling from people who don't know what don't follow wrestling. The number of people who are asking me, hey, what is this AEW thing people are talking about? All the Absolutely. Time? That is happening more and more. And CM Punk and Daniel Bryan are the kinds of names that say this is not going away. This it, 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 WWE doesn't want to call them competition. I mean, it's a war and you better realize that that doesn't mean WWE is going to go away, but it's exactly what you said. This is the kind of thing that's going to cost WWE a lot of business because you're going to have fans who eh, I'm not really into raw. It hasn't been good. Oh, Daniel Bryan's back. I guess I should go check that out. Daniel Bryan and CM Punk are the kind of names that are going to make people move over from one show to the other. And that's not to say you can watch both. We love SmackDown. We hate Raw. There's no reason WWE can't put on a good show. But everything's on the table now. Like, if if WWE's going to sit here and pretend, oh, they can just take some more of our talent, oh, they're not competition. Like, they're missing the boat here, and it's going to cost them. Well, that's the thing. AEW is not actively attacking WWE. They're not going to war necessarily with WWE. They are assuming land. They're taking area of professional wrestling. Almost like if you're in risk, they're just going into areas that that don't have armies protecting them. And they're taking all this territory. And they're kind of just saying, well, if you're not going to stop us, then we're just going to do this, this, and this. And by the way, when we take some of this land, there's a lot of soldiers on this land that we're just going to kind of bring into our arsenal and build our army and get it bigger and stronger so that when you do decide that this is a war, when you do recognize us as competition, you're screwed because we already got the land and we already got the soldiers and you just don't. And that's what WWE is failing to understand. It's like, we're not competing with them because we compete with everyone. We're entertainment. We're competing with Netflix and Hulu and movies and uh, uh, sure. That, 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 okay. That's true. And wh- whoever the PR person who came up with that phrase for every tech company to use a couple years ago right. should, should have copyrighted that line. But yes, those things are competition, but so is AEW. AEW, yes. And AEW is becoming the direct competition that WWE hasn't had and seemingly refuses to acknowledge. And the the bothersome part is, look, Malachi Black, Andrade, they're great wrestlers. They were two of the people who, when they got brought up from NXT, got me excited that WWE may change. And, I, you know, there'd be more talent there. I'd see better wrestling, all that type of stuff. But they're not really needle movers, right? They're no. not going oh, to no. get people on their own to tune into AEW who were not tuning in before. And honestly, as much as I love him, Adam Cole isn't either. Just because no. he's not that kind of name. He's not on the big show. He's not known by as many millions of people. But CM Punk is. Yep. And Brian Danielson is. 
Yep. And Ric Flair, because we know at some point he's going to show up there, even though he's not going to wrestle. But Ric Flair is as well. And once that momentum starts and Sasha Banks' contract comes up or Bailey's contract comes up or, hey, Charlotte Flair, considering her fiance and potentially maybe her father could be employed by AEW. Why would they necessarily stay in WWE when all that WWE's done has booked them so strong that they've accomplished everything already? They look at AEW and they see a women's division that, look, there's some talent there, but it's shit. I mean, it's booked bad and they don't get any time on TV. And they say, hey, what if we go here? What if you pay us more to work less and you actually give us time? So it may not seem like the end of the world for WWE today as we tape this podcast, as we discuss what's next for AEW and we, and we talk about All Out. But this isn't a one-shot deal. CM Punk signing there and, and Brian Danielson going there, they're not necessarily anomalies. They're signs of things to come. And right. the longer it takes WWE to realize that and the more WWE thinks it can fill in those gaps by bringing back 54-year-old Goldberg or paying Brock Lesnar to fight eight to 12 matches over two years, the more dire straits they're going to be in. And I say this as someone who was not a huge fan of AEW in year one, but over the last year has become a bigger fan. And as someone who during the WWE WCW Monday Night War, which was a real war, I was always on the WWE side. I I was not a WCW guy. Me too. But, But what WWE's doing right now It's basically telling me and it's telling a lot of other fans, hey, if you like wrestling, there may be another company out there somewhere for you. Go watch it. That's not what we're doing anymore. We're going to give you tastes of wrestling. We're going to give you a five-star match sprinkled in with a four and a half-star match. Every other week on Raw, we'll give you a banger. We'll give you some big meaty men slapping meat. But week to week, pay-per-view to pay-per-view, we don't necessarily care if you like the wrestling or not, as long as you watch. It doesn't even have to be the wrestling. It's just the storytelling is not good. I mean, the, the Attitude Era was not about the wrestling. It, it was about the characters and the stars that they created. And to your point, the next time Sasha Banks' contract comes up or something, even if WWE can keep her, it's going to cost a lot more to keep her now. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, it's it's... It's it, Vince McMahon's whole thing was squashing the competition. So he had a monopoly, could have basically set the price for for to, to be a wrestler there. And ceding all this ground to AEW, yeah. you've just amped up the cost that you're going to have to, to pay yourself when it comes to the workers, which is good. It's good to pay the wrestlers more. It's good to have that competition. It's good for everybody to have more options. But it. That that's why CM Punk and Dan O'Brien are a completely different level than anything else that has happened with AEW because that is the kind of thing that's going to draw ratings from week to week. It's going to sell more merchandise, and it's the kind of thing where what is Raw going to do tomorrow night? Like like how they're are giving they us respond? they're giving us Charlotte Flair and Nia Jax again. They're giving yep. us Drew McIntyre and Sheamus for a U.S. Championship number one contendership when they were just in a triple threat match last week. Yeah, so if if they think that that kind of stuff is going to just continue to fly, they will quickly learn that it won't. And turning this to AEW now, you you know you need to have Cole, Brian, Punk, 
These guys need to be at almost every taping if you can. It, it, we can't go yeah. two weeks without seeing Dan O'Brien like they've because AEW's roster is bloated. It, it, it is, and we you know, we go two three weeks without seeing Miro in the ring. These More, guys are longer. On level. We go longer yeah. than that. You're gonna like see, they've done. They've had CM Punk out there every time. He's cut promos mostly. He was waiting to wrestle, but he's got to wrestle every other week. Like like AW has to put its stars on its flagship TV shows almost every single time if they want to keep this up because they can't sit there and say maybe we'll have Punk, maybe we won't, maybe we'll do this. Like this is the moment now. You have to put. You have to push everything out there and hit them, hit them, hit them. Every single time there's a show there and the production has to be there to back it up. And we'll get into all out and some of the issues I think they have with the production. But there is too much talent and the moment is too right that AEW can't drop this ball either. Yeah, it, it's a combination of I, I don't know that I fully agree with you that they all need to be there every week. But I, I do think if you have in a given week and we're, let's talk like two months down the line, right? On a dynamite, you have CM Punk and Malachi Black and Kenny Omega and John Moxley. And then the next week you have Brian Danielson and Andrade Alidolo and Pac. And you know what I mean? Like you don't have to necessarily have all of them every single week, but you have to have stars every week. And yeah. when they're not there, they need to be still in storylines that are rotating around. Or you tape something with them the week before that airs on Rampage or something like that. It's good that AEW has three hours of TV, but, and this is not like people will call this. I, I've seen people call this shit concern trolling online, but it's a legitimate conversation point, Chris. And we'll get off this topic and move on to the rest of the card after this. But it is a legitimate topic to say that AEW's ro men's roster, which I literally just called the best in professional wrestling. It's not that it's too loaded but it has a shitload of people on it. And I have to imagine, not now, but a year from now, if they only have three hours of TV, people are going to get a little tired of only being on dark and dark elevation and getting on TV once every three months. And if they're going to clear the back half of that roster, the problem is that back half isn't necessarily that great. And maybe WWE scoops them up or not. I don't know. But at some point, you have to ask, do you have enough TV time for all the stars that you now have? Mm -hmm. And I don't know that they do. And if they add to this, if they hire Bray Wyatt, let's say, as an example, if WWE cuts one or two more mid-tier people that they sign. Then you're like, well, when do some of these people get on television? Or, or do what? you not have all these stars on TV all the time? And if you don't, then you're really selling your fans short in that regard. So I just don't well, know. Not, yeah, not only selling them short, but that, that's, Dan O'Brien made a point to thank the indie wrestlers who started AEW. And like he recognizes how important they are. And, you know, Scorpio Sky, they said he signed a five year extension. I don't know if that's exactly true, whatever, on the show. But like, if you're one of those early people who got onto AW and built this thing, you're you're probably concerned, you know, what your future is at the company, too. And, and maybe not this year, maybe in two years. And it's certainly a real concern to, to have because 
this type of bloat isn't sustainable. I hope it does. I hope all the wrestlers make all the well, money. But yeah, there, there's not a lot of room to grow. And that's been a problem. But the question is like, how do you now get Sammy Guevara into the main event? How do you get mm-hmm. Wardlow into the main event? Um, if MJF starts challenging or wins the championship, then what are you going to do with Kenny Omega? Um, John Moxley, is he still going to be there once a month or twice a month? Just kind of wrestling alongside Eddie Kingston is, and is that the best use of John Moxley Miro when he drops the TNT title, you know, and he's already sh- only wrestling once every four weeks. What do you do with him? So this is why WWE, this is why WWE has a brand split. By the way, This is why W this is exactly why WWE has a brand split. But what's extremely odd is despite having that brand split, we see the same people every week in WWE for two different reasons. Number one, because when they had the talent, they just refused to use it. They just, for some reason, wouldn't book Aleister Black and wouldn't book Andrade and wouldn't put Rusev in anything that actually mattered. But now they fired all those people. So now the roster is extremely thin. And the people who they would have called up from NXT, they fired Bronson Reed and Adam Cole went to AEW. So they don't really have a lot of people to call up. No, they don't really have a lot of people on their roster. I would have to do a count. I have to believe AEW per hour of television has one and a half times as many men as WWE has for its five hours of TV. I have to believe that because there are so many freaking people signed to this company. That's not even counting the independent wrestlers who get to wrestle on dark and elevation and all that type of stuff. So I have no idea, no earthly idea how Tony Khan is going to manage this. If they get an extra hour of TV and they get four, that would definitely help. But even then, you're going to have people that you need to have on both shows, especially when you're promoting pay-per-views. And I I just don't know how they're going to manage it. It seems like it's too much. It does. It it, it does. And we'll see how these first couple of weeks play out, but you know, think about the inner circle and we've not really seen them much for a month. We saw Santana Ortiz, I think once I know FTR got hurt, but we saw Jake Hager today. I don't remember the last time we saw Jake Hager. <laughs> I, I don't remember the last time we saw Sammy Guevara. So well, we saw yeah, Jake no. Hager tonight. Oh no, I'm saying before tonight. Right, right. So, so yeah, that's AW right now is looks a whole lot different than it did a year ago. And that's going to have to be sorted out. But at the moment, as a wrestling fan, uh, it's an exciting time to have all these people. It's extremely exciting. And look, you know, everyone who's been listening to me talk about wrestling, not just on this podcast, but prior to this podcast, I was skeptical that another company could come in and really compete with WWE. And when AEW started, and I... I still believe I'm one of the people who's more critical about AEW than most because I don't think just because it's new and different that that means automatically it's good. But there's absolutely no question that since AEW started touring after the pandemic in July, that they have been absolutely crushing it. And this product that we're getting from them now, it still has its flaws. Some people refuse to admit that. AEW still has its flaws. We talked about already the Kenny Omega Christian match. We're going to talk about a couple more flaws tonight. But despite those flaws, so much of it is good. So much of it hits the right notes that wrestling fans 
in this demographic, the 18 to 49 demographic, which you and I both are in and both have been in for a large part of our wrestling fandom, they are appealing to that crowd in a way that WWE simply does not. And when WWE does, it's you have to find those nuggets. You have to find those moments on SmackDown and occasionally on Raw where something good and exciting happens. Because most of the time, particularly on Raw, it's crap. Look, I I think SmackDown has been the best wrestling show going on a year now. Now, last week was terrible. We'll get to that later later this week. At but, least someone agrees with me. I got so many tweets telling me I was crazy for not liking SmackDown, but okay. Yeah, so, you know, it's just... The, there, there's the problem with WWE has been a lack of star power, and now AEW almost has too much. <laughs> it took it has its own, and it has many of the top stars from WWE. That's the yes. crazy thing. Like, sure, WWE still has Roman Reigns, and it still has Seth Rollins, and there's Drew McIntyre. They're, they're making into a star, and they're they're doing a lot of good work. The women, of course, the women's division is still unmatched. It's not even close. Yes, but in a very short period of time. AEW has eclipsed the WWE roster and eclipsed the New Japan roster. And yeah. holy shit, Tony Khan, AEW, they deserve a lot of credit for what they have done recently and a lot of credit for, as I said, taking that territory the WWE abandoned, claiming it, stamping their feet, planting their flag, and saying, hey, you guys don't want to be wrestling? All right, we're going to be wrestling. Yeah, and it, it, you keep wondering, at, at what point will AEW reach the point where something changes in WWE, when they really have that change, when they really have that turn to the Attitude Era? I'll tell you when. When? It'll change if and when Dynamite starts beating Raw in the ratings. And I don't just mean in demo, because different nights, different yeah. competition, especially with Monday Night Football, it's very tough to compare. But if Dynamite starts getting like 1.6, 1.7 million viewers per week and Raw drops back again to 1.8, 1.7 million viewers and WWE starts seeing its bottom line affected, fewer t-shirt sales, less people coming to live events, all that type of stuff, then and only then WWE will make some incremental changes to appeal to that audience again. But yeah, right we're, we're, now, they don't even have, I don't even know that they have the horses to do it. They have people fans exactly, like. That, that's it. Well, that that's it right there. Because what can they do other than simply doing a better job? There is nobody to call up that's going to change anything. There's nobody to bring in from the outside who's going to spark anything. They are out of, you know, break glass in case of emergency options now. They just simply yes. have to have a better product and i hope that that comes across to them and they realize that and realize they have to take more risks and change the product they're putting on the screen largely on raw again smackdown's mostly fine but 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 basically raw which is the flagship show even if you know smackdown's on fox so yeah there's going to be a point here maybe real soon where that happens and what are they going to do i i'm i'm excited i want that to see that happen we want both these companies to succeed but TV, but casual fans do not have time for what eight hours of wrestling TV for a week. They're not crazy like us. Not so counting, not counting NXT, by the way. At, Possibly yes, ten. At, at, at some point, people make a choice, and that's what's going to be really interesting over this next month. Yeah, you're not kidding. 
Um, and yeah, like I said, it's it's even if they want to, do they have the horses to do it? They have some really talented people. And I, I am not discrediting the talent I, on WWE's roster. They have a lot of talent still on that roster. But man, they just lost and hemorrhaged so many names that should have been the ones to be that next cycle, that next generation of stars. And they basically just told AEW, take them, best of luck to you. And it's just absolutely wild that they did it. And it's wild that AEW signed all of them. And man, wrestling is as interesting as it has been in a long, long time. So let's talk about the rest of AEW All Out, which is really why why we're here. Um, Holy crap, I'll go to the co-main event, Chris. Even though this was not the second to last match, it was not the penultimate match. But the co-main event of this show clearly was CM Punk against Darby Allin. On Rampage Friday, Darby fought Daniel Garcia. Punk did a stage dive before that match, and I just wanted to point this out. He jumps into the crowd, and a dude tries to offer him a beer, and <laughs> Punk gives this guy a look like he needed to be committed to an insane asylum. Like, <laughs> don't you know I'm straight edge? But like laughing, I, I was cackling at that. I just couldn't believe yeah. someone would be that silly and stupid to do that. What do you think the red X's are, man? <laughs> like, it was insane. But uh, look, this match was, it was decent. Uh, Darby ran into a table. Uh, he did Punk's Pepsi twist in a callback. He finally uh, trapped Garcia's leg and like pinned him uniquely for the win. 2.0 attack, sting through Garcia into the crowd. Punk chased 2.0 away so Darby could hit a Topi Suicida bullet style into all of them before staring down Punk to end the show. The fans loved that match. It didn't necessarily feel almost needed to have a match on a go-home show, but the Punk-Darby build was great, and what happened on, the, on a Rampage was solid. Yep. All right, uh, moving on to All Out, the match itself. So Punk wore pants instead of his old tights, and he mimicked Darby sitting in the ring. This started really, really slow with Matt wrestling until Darby hit his flip-over cutter, a coffin splash, and a code red for three straight near falls. Darby then countered an avalanche backdrop into a crossbody for another. Punk reversed the move into a go to sleep, but Darby flew through the ropes outside and barely beat the 10 count. Then Darby threw himself like a torpedo and hit a senton bomb outside like a total maniac, even doing that outside the ring. He mocked Punk's uh, GTS gesture, you know, the sleeping with the hands, but Punk sat up like The Undertaker to avoid a coffin drop, which was <laughs> a really super fun spot in that match. That was amazing. Uh, Darby countered another GTS, but Punk leveled him with a leg lariat. Then Punk countered a Poison Rana into the GTS for the clean one, two, three. And after Punk celebrated, Sting came down, offered his hand for a shake. They tried to help up Darby. He refused, got up on his own, and shook Punk's hand. So when this started, I was a bit concerned, Chris, that Punk maybe physically wasn't going to be able to wrestle you know, to his normal level. But the slow start seemed to be not so much for that, but rather just so we could get comfortable in the ring yeah, again. Yeah. Once the match picked up, it was fantastic. It was everything you could want from Punk's return. He was treated like a big star without being forced into a main event or forced into a title match. I'm extremely curious to see what the follow-up for this is going to be. And I really thought for a moment when Sting came out, I was going to be right about a heel turn in the finish. I thought Darby was going to like push Sting and get really mad at him and turn heel and was, was going to be great. That didn't happen. Maybe it happens Wednesday. For this night, it was really solid across the board. I went 4.25 uh, stars and an mm. A 
Maybe that's a little bit of a curve. I enjoyed the match. I thought Punk looked really good. Yeah, I mean, I give it maybe like a 3.75. I thought it was okay. Punk Punk looked good. The pants made him look taller. You did, uh, yeah. Especially the vertical uh, yeah, ver- vertical stripes. Darby being a smaller guy. It made him just look bigger. Um, second, I, I don't like the way his music starts. They do that static for a second. It's elongated, yeah. And then it hits into the music. And it doesn't, it's not that like glass shattering moment for an opening like i it should just go right into the guitar like it did with wwe i think that was a better way to do it it's just a little thing that bothers me it'll always bother me i i don't get it the match was match was good it was fine it was good it was just it was fun to see cm punk wrestling again like something i really didn't think we were gonna see like i really believed that he was never gonna go back to wwe and so then it was he might be that guy he might be that guy who really never does go back and to see this happening was so, so cool. Um, the finish of the match, we basically were both half right. And I think it was the worst possible decision because you got them being friendly and respectful at the end, which is what I thought was going to happen. But you got Punk winning which is what you had, which well, is what you said would happen. Let's not confuse predicting a match. No, with, I, I'm just with, saying. I, excuse I, me, I, hold on. With booking the damn territory. You book the territory for fun. The prediction for the match is what counts. I sure, predicted yeah, the match right. right. You, you, got, you, got the, you got the pick right. I'm you predicted saying, the match right. I wanted, yes. I wanted what, what you predicted I wanted. I wanted a, a, a punk win and Darby heel turn and off we go. I said, I think they're going to play it nice, and but Darby will get the win. They play. I just. I don't like that they played a nice and Punk got the win. I. I, I don't think it really ended up helping Darby all that much. So I, I am curious about the follow up, like you said. So we'll see if something goes there. But yeah, it was. It was. Hey, Punk's back. It's great to see him. Okay, now I want to get back into the nitty gritty, edgy Punk. I mean, he stands up on the turnbuckle at the end and says, "I'm back, motherfuckers." Big expression on his face. That's the CM Punk I want. The guy who's serious. The guy who got in the. The guy who GTS 2.0 on a rampage. That's the punk I want to see now. No more like honeymoon, you know, he's back. Oh, it's great to see him. I'm happy to be here. I want to work with the young talent. No, I want you to fucking beat somebody up. And actually, there was a quote from Daniel Bryan I just saw on Twitter. Brian said afterward in the scrum of all out. He said, Punk said he wanted to come back to help the young guys. No, I want to come in and kick their heads in. That's exactly what you should want to do. I'm glad Brian said that. That's what I want to see from Punk moving forward. Yeah, I, I loved the way he performed and the, loved the way he acted. Yeah, sure. Okay, they, I think they missed the boat by not doing the booking that I gave on the show. Uh, but it was an entertaining match. And, and mm-hmm. we need to remember, um, especially like when we're evaluating things, and I do this all the time. Sometimes, and wrestling fans do this all the time, not just me. People do this all the time. Just because a company doesn't do exactly what you want doesn't mean it's bad, right? Uh, yeah. A person winning a match, losing a match, booking something a certain way. This, I thought, could have had legs that go a little bit deeper than just a nice match, a handshake, and leaving. They decided not to do it. That's okay. It doesn't necessarily change the quality of the match. No. I thought yeah. Punk did a good job. To your point, I like the attitude he showed at the end, how passionate he was the entire time. That bodes well for his return to professional wrestling uh, in AEW, and this was a great start to it. I'm really, really curious to see what they do next with CM Punk. Is he going for the title? I doubt it because it feels like Brian Danielson is going to. 
So what exactly does he do? Does he just find other young people to wrestle? Maybe, right? I'm very curious to see what happens on Dynamite this Wednesday. Uh, The third biggest match of the show was Chris Jericho against MJF, the final fight with a stipulation that if Jericho loses, he will retire from in-ring competition in AEW. I was fucking howling and smiling ear to ear at the start of this match with MJF doing the Y2J countdown entrance. That is top tier heel shit to troll him like that. On the other hand, Jericho had his guitarist from Fozzy playing electric guitar for his Judas entrance. It was absolute trash. I'll take any and all of the Shinsuke Nakamura entrances in NXT or WWE over this. Even if it was broadcast, well, it was so loud, it drowned out the crowd singing Judas, which is the entire point of doing that entrance, to play loud music, even if it sounded good, which it didn't, over the crowd singing Judas was dumb. In fact, what they probably should have done is called back to the fifth labor of Jericho and not played his music and just had the crowd serenade him again. Almost as like a FU to MJF. Like, I don't need my music. I have the fans. This That was very poorly conceived and it was even executed worse than that. I, I would have done it the way they do it with Boogs, which is he opens by playing a bit of the song by himself and then you bring the music over it and he gets to keep playing and the people could sing. That, that, would, that would have been, I think, the best mix of all of it. Yeah, and this is what I'm talking about with like production and sound. AEW has sound issues a lot. And this was one of them where you just, the, the guitar was so loud, you couldn't hear anybody singing. And it, is, it a, is it a big deal? No, but it's the kind of thing that adds up when you have, you know, production stuff that doesn't quite hit like this when, when there's a lot of it. Yeah, absolutely. No question. So let's get to the match. MJF did the Ric Flair strut and thrusted his crotch. Then he hit the heat seeker on Jericho on the ring apron. Jericho came back with a pop-up powerbomb on the ring apron, which I thought was an ode to Kevin Owens, which was pretty cool. MJF then caught Jericho flying with half a code breaker for a near fall. And Jericho got two near falls after a lion salt and a code breaker. Wardlow came down and Jake Hager intercepted him. That gave MJF an opening to grab Jericho's bat and he did a shot to the head. MJF then hit a Judas effect and the referee, Aubrey Edwards, counted to three just as Jericho put his foot on the bottom rope. MJF was announced as the winner. Another referee ran down to inform Aubrey that she screwed up and they restarted the match. Jericho got MJF in the lion tamer, pulled him away from the ropes, added some additional leverage to it, and won via submission. This was the definition of overbooking. From Wardlow and Hager to the referee mistake, AEW tried way too hard to protect MJF in this finish when the guy does not need to be protected given he has a sterling record in AEW and Jericho is a legend. Losing to Chris Jericho is not a negative. It was the second referee-involved finish of the night Why do two when you can just pick one of them to do that? This match was good. It was very good until that. I also think if you watched it on replay, that Aubrey actually counted three before his foot got on the rope. So if that's the case, she screwed MJF by reversing the decision. I was in the A range for this, like the low A range, A minus 
but the finish was extremely disappointing to me. So I'm going to go with 3.75 stars on the B+. Some good wrestling, but some really bad booking. Yeah, I was at the same 3.75. I So my understanding, and the commentary explained this at the end of the match, was that Jake Hager and Wardlow come down. That brought more referees down. So there was a referee ringside, I believe, when the finish happened. And so that's why in this situation, a ref could overturn it. I I, I don't like that, but there's at least some explanation there because I don't like reversing ref decisions because it opens a complete can of worms. There was that time when WWE added instant re- had like replay review. And, and it was like, well, if this is if this is canon now, then th- th- you can change anything and it shouldn't be like that. So I, I, I guess they're saying because there was a ref down there, that's why it could happen. I don't love that. I, I would have almost preferred. I know he doesn't. He's not an on-screen guy, but I would have almost preferred Tony Khan saying no because the stipulation of this match is so important for this specific match. I'm giving an exemption to restart the match. I, I I don't like the way they did it. I actually, when they counted one, two, three, and MJF won, I loved it because I thought, oh, Jericho's gonna go on tour because he lost, but he has wiggle room to come back in now because actually he didn't lose. I thought it was gonna be a perfect. Plan to he to can show Jericho like a video and say yeah I'm screwed reverse. yeah like yeah. he he yeah. has a case to come back and MJF can gloat it so but then no they reverse it I mean it was fine for what it was but the end did the, the the overbooking did kind of take over a bit when you really didn't need to do it you could have had MJF lose clean and it would have been, he would not have been hurt at all it, it would have been fine that's the crazy thing it's just like sometimes you just don't need to protect people this is one of those cases. They did not need to protect MJF, who's like... Honestly, that, that's a very WWE way to end that. It was a very WWE way to end it. It was. It's true. Or very WCW back in the day, where they would just overbook something unnecessarily for Lord knows what reason, because someone didn't want to do the job. That's not the case here, but it used to be the case in WCW. Um, yeah, it, it, it was disappointing. You know, I told you going in, I told everyone going in, I thought this was the best built match. You know, there's other matches that were maybe more exciting, had the potential to be better. This one was built the best storyline-wise. Yeah. And for it to end that way and not just let Jericho win, it was disappointing and, and a bit silly. And, uh, and more than that, it was unnecessary for them to do it that way, especially when you opened the show with a referee-assisted finish. You don't yes. need two of them in one show. All right, we'll move over to the Women's Championship match. Uh, Britt Baker defending against Chris Statlander. On Rampage, Statlander faced Jamie Hayter and Rebel. There was a cool choreographed spot with Statlander catching both women for a front slam and a Alabama slam style move off her shoulders. Hayter dipped out of the ring and Statlander submitted Rebel for the win. The women surrounded three sides of the ring, but Red Velvet had Statlander's back. So for all of those who messaged me, all of you listeners, and said they were sure there'd be storyline and build for this match on Rampage, guess what? You were wrong. I was right. I'll give myself a Barry Horowitz, a little pat on the back because I predicted this exactly as it went down with Sands Red Velvet. I didn't know she would run in. I thought this was pretty bad and it didn't necessarily help build the match for the pay-per-view. No. All right. Uh, for the pay-per-view, uh, Baker hit a draping fisherman's neckbreaker off the top turnbuckle. There was some sloppiness, but Statlander hit a fisherman's buster for a near fall. Baker came back with a flatliner into the turnbuckle, a cool spot. Then Statlander had to save her. Uh, with a nearly botched superplex. Baker avoided a 450 splash, but Statlander dropped her from her shoulders 
hit a scissor kick for a near fall. Baker avoided a pendulum moonsault outside and stomped Statlander uh, at ringside. Orange Cassidy, seeing Statlander down, screamed in her face to get back into the ring, which really popped me and it popped the crowd yeah. because he never yells. He never gets excited, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't talk mm-hmm. a lot. So that was really cool. Baker then hit the Panama Sunrise in a ode to Adam Cole, her boyfriend, fiance, whatever. Yes, I uh, thought that at the time. And that was obviously before he debuted. So I was like, oh, maybe that's teasing something for the future. Who knew the future was the main event? The crowd went wild for it because they didn't expect it. Uh, but Statlander kicked out of that. Then Statlander kicked out after a stomp, only to eventually tap out to the lockjaw in the finish. This was the best of the first three matches on the card, first hour of the show. But it was largely because the finish was so damn strong. I love that Statlander lost clean, but it did require 2.5 finishers, basically, for her to be beaten. That keeps her strong. That's a good way to keep someone strong in that regard. Uh, There was good action. And Statlander, from a wrestling standpoint, led the way the entire time. I really, really like this. I gave it four stars and an A minus. Like I said, it was the best match on the first half of the show. And it was one of the four or five best matches on the entire card. Yeah, I give it four stars, too. It was really fun. And Statlander, like, she she looked great. She comes down the ramp and just, like, it felt like a big match. And it felt like she knew it was a big match. And they talked about, even the commentary, they're like, well, you know, she she likes to say she's an alien, but like she's serious here. Like we're not playing up the kookiness of, of of the character. And I thought that was that was really well done. Match was great. She's awesome. Brit's awesome. Really, really good stuff. And yeah, I wish this had gotten more of a build between the two of them because I think you could have told a really good story between the two when the two of them without having other people coming in. And there wasn't much of a face to face. Uh, until they had the match. Um, I think it could have done that, but this this was really good. Like you said, it, it was probably the highlight of that first hour. It was. Uh, let's move on to the other title match. There's, I think, two more for us to talk about. The Tag Team Championship, the Young Bucks defending against the Lucha Bros inside of a steel cage. So there, this is, there's a lot to say here, right? So just bear with me. Uh, to start, there was a live performance of the Lucha Bros entrance theme, which was already... One of my favorite entrance themes in AEW. This one, this just took it over the top. I liked it even more after this. It gave the match a lot of great energy to start. Pentagon did his flying coup de gras to the taint. To my delight again, I love it. Um, there were four straight cutters of different varieties, followed by Made in Japan from Penta for a near fall. And then the Young Bucks ripped holes in the masks and got, quote, fuck the Young Bucks chance. And hey, I say that every time they wrestle, so I thought that was funny. Just... Just kidding. Calm down. Uh, Brandon Cutler threw a bag into the ring with a thumbtack-soled Jordan shoe. He what was a throw, boy. What a throw. Yeah. Uh, they were set to hit Phoenix with it when Penta sacrificed himself in front of him, which reminded me of DIY back in the day in NXT. Then Nick ran Penta's face into the shoe and hit a running kick. The Bucks then hit a thumbtack kick and a poison run at the Phoenix, plus a BTE trigger to Penta. But Phoenix somehow saved the fall. I thought that was the end of the match. The crowd was really taken out of it because of the shoe and how things slowed down massively. But they popped for that and realized, okay, there's an entire second half of this match to go. Phoenix did a ton of crazy shit. He grabbed the Jordan and used it before hitting like a driver style bomb for a near fall. 
Matt and Penta simultaneously hit package pile drivers on the ring apron. Then Penta hit an avalanche Canadian destroyer from the top rope, which was the spot of the match and one of the best spots of the entire night. There were a ton of choreographed stuff, followed by a stomp-aided package pile driver for a near fall. Then Penta convinced Phoenix to repeat the move, except instead of jumping from the top rope, to jump from the top of the cage. So he climbs all the way up there. There's some shenanigans down below. And instead of doing that, he just dives off and does an insane crossbody across all three men, quickly followed by the Lucha Bros hitting an assisted package pile driver for the win and the title change. So this was a tornado rules match as it had to be. I just wish they announced that that was going to be the case because JR early in the match is like, I don't know who's legal because no one's tagging. Mm. So they need to just explain the rules a little bit. That was probably one of only two things I didn't like in this entire match. Penta was bloody as hell. He kissed his daughters with his face after the match. This whole thing was booked well. The low in the middle with the spiked Jordan, all it did was bring the crowd down low to bring them back up at the end. The choreographed stuff, as always, it's not for me. There was plenty of it. But the best moments of the match stood out on its own. The only thing I didn't really like was how many of those massive spots that were in that match, like the Destroyer, ended with kickouts instead of breakups. They basically was just a lot of no-selling. But you guys know I'm not the biggest Young Bucks fan. I have a problem with the way they do matches, a lot of the choreography, all that type of stuff. I absolutely hated the ladder match between these two teams, even though I think I gave it a good grade. That was not the case. I loved this match. This was everything that match wasn't because it gave good wrestling and storytelling along with great spots. Chris, I'm going, I'm not sure exactly which grade, but either five stars or 4.75 stars and an A plus. This to me was the match of the night. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I'm... I'm always really hesitant to give out the five. I I, I think I'm going to go 4.75, but this match was better than the one two years ago at, at All Out. And it's Way better. It was night and day. Because there was a clear heel-face dynamic. You were rooting for somebody. You were rooting against somebody. That's so important when you're watching wrestling. And the, the, the boxers, you know, the Bucks are really good as heels. And I know a lot of it is like kind of played up and fans just kind of go along with it. But it really works when 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 uh, Nick comes out with kind of the Hulk Hogan look from back in the day with the black beard and the blonde mustache and uh, uh, Fu Manchu mustache. I think Antonio Brown did that too recently. And, and, and the shoe stuff and the way... Matt like looked at the camera when they got the shoe and, and, and it really added that up. I also also the blood man w- the the first shoe shot in, in the corner when Penta's head got kind of stuck in there there was a pool of blood underneath him oh man that was that was a lot I mean that that and, and color adds to a match as, as we always say that that also really added to this one in appropriate spots. You do it like this. It works. You do it like Cody blading for no reason. Three minutes into a match. It doesn't work. No, no. And one other thing I was and this ties into Jericho too. When they came out with the live entrance with the live music and the costumes, I immediately thought, Oh, they're going to lose because when you get this entrance in WWE, you lose. And 
they won with the big entrance and Jericho won with the special live music entrance. So I like that AEW is purposely or not, the big entrance doesn't automatically trigger a thought of, oh, this means they're going to lose, but they're going to get this moment type of thing. So it's, it's like a little random thing, but it makes everything bigger when you get the cool entrance and you get the win at the end. So you also didn't say, and I'll, I'll bury Horowitz to you, even though that's a self-congratulations. Oh, you got yes. this right. I, you predicted this. I got this. it right. I did I not. Right. I got this wrong. I could have sworn they were going to save the title change for Santana and Ortiz, but with the way this match was booked, it absolutely had to happen here. Even though I feel like that's slightly a missed opportunity for the Queen show, the next match we're going to talk about, I think they could create a big moment at that Queen show anyway. So let me slide into that. But I did want to give you credit because we're yes. going back and forth. You did predict this one, right? I got it the, wrong. Yeah, yeah. The only, the only, there were only two matches. I think we predicted different outcomes. And we went so one we and got, one. So there you each go. Got one. Uh, so TNT Championship, Miro against Eddie Kingston. So on Rampage, Miro said Kingston was gifted but he took a charity contract into AEW rather than earn it. And now he's just John Moxley's bat boy. Kingston walked out. He straight up called Miro's comments bullshit. He went on a mini rant about Miro's God not being real, but said if he was real, then he set Kingston as punishment. Then he told Miro, redeem these nuts. Miro suckered him into a belt shot. Kingston then caught him with a DDT. This was fantastic on Rampage. There was more storyline, build, and energy in this like four minute segment, then there has been the entirety of the three or four week build to this match. This shit should have happened on Dynamite like two weeks ago to get yep. to this. This is what I'm talking about. You don't just put a match on a pay-per-view for really no good reason. They finally gave it to us in the last moment. I wish they gave it to us longer, but they at least gave it to us on Rampage. Yes, it honestly was kind of a WWE style promo where someone's talking, they yes. get interrupted, they come down the stage to talk. WWE sometimes does it too much, but there's a reason they do it and because it, it creates kind of a foundation there between two people. And it was really well done. I wish it had gone on longer. I, I wanted to see these guys get into it on the mic even more. So glad they finally did it. It really added a lot going in there. Right. That's why I wish it happened two weeks ago so we could see a follow up on the go home show or something like that. Yep. yep. But into the match on all out, Miro caught Kingston with a power slam off the ring apron. Then there was some literal. <laughs> These guys were like slapping and punching each other for a while. Kingston hit three sides of suplexes for a near fall and a fisherman suplex for another. He ripped off a turnbuckle pad only to eat a thrust kick and escape game over with the ropes. Kingston caught Miro with a chop and a DDT, but the referee was late to the count because he was fixing the turnbuckle in the corner. Miro kicked out at 2.5 by the time he got there to count. Fans booed the referee, and he did a really good job. I think it was Bryce Remsburg, I'm not sure. Uh, but he did a great job selling, like, why are you booing me? I don't understand what I did wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, the turnbuckle wound up exposed anyway. He didn't fix it. So the referee ran into the turnbuckle, like ran in between the turnbuckle and, and the wrestlers to shield Miro from getting thrown into it. Miro hit Kingston then with a mule kick that the referee didn't see because he was in between them, followed by a running thrust kick for the win. So this opened the show, and it was a smart call to open the show, given how over Kingston is and the fact that recent WWE fans had familiar familiarity with Miro, um, and maybe they're tuning in to watch AEW for the first time. So you want to give them someone that, a face that looks familiar. Now, 
while the first screw up with the turnbuckle was a nice piece of booking in kayfabe, him literally running in front of the exposed turnbuckle, that was just idiotic when there's no DQs for weapons in AEW. Why does he need to protect them from the exposed turnbuckle? But in the Kenny Omega match, they can do tabled spots and there's no disqualification for it. It doesn't make any sense. This muted for me what was otherwise a damn good match. I'm still going to go with 3.5 stars and a B, but man, this could have been a B plus or an A minus. Now my expectation, Chris, this is what I was saying earlier. Since they're not going to clearly give Santana and Ortiz the tag team titles at Arthur Ashe Stadium, I think they run this match back at Dynamite in Queens and Eddie Kingston beats Miro for the TNT Championship. I think they could still do the tag team title change. I don't think it's out of the question. That's actually what I thought was going to happen. But Eddie Kingston winning, I think, would go over even better uh, for, for, for everything you laid out. So, yeah, you know, you got the low blow. There, there's a reason to continue this match. I I, I would love that idea. We're what, a couple weeks away from, from that happening, late September. I love that idea. I, I, I'd really like to see it. This was a good match. It, it it was I wish it was a little bit uh longer. It it was a bit slow at times. I'd probably give it like a three, two, five, but you know, maybe they're holding maybe they're holding some for, for the next one. I don't know. I, I'd love to see this one continue because Miros has kind of been floating for a while. So if he can get into a real feud that takes some time, that that'll do wonders for 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 him. No question about it. So a couple more things here. Uh, John Moxley fought Satoshi Kojima on Rampage. AEW showed five seconds of Mox trying to hit Kojima during a contract signing. That was literally the build for this entire feud. Mox hit a rare Tope Suicida. They bit each other in the head. Kojima hit a superplex and a DDT on the ring apron. He added a brain buster, but Mox stopped his momentum with a German suplex. Kojima countered a paradigm shift with a lariat and hit the Koji cutter, but didn't try for a fall. Mox got the bulldog choke, but Kojima escaped. He had a ton of chops on him, double chops. Mox finally countered a lariat with a paradigm shift and added another one, basically a death rider for the one, two, three. This was a Japan style match in the best sense uh, of that connotation, but it wasn't particularly special for me. I went 3.25 stars and a a B. I think that was a little bit generous. Uh, We'll talk about what happened after the match in a moment. I know you're not a huge Japan Japan guy, New Japan uh, wrestling fan, Uh, but the match, like it was good for what it was, but as someone who has watched Moxley in NJPW matches and seen plenty of New Japan Pro Wrestling over the last five years or so, this just didn't really ring a bell for me. No, it was, I give it a three. I don't really know who Kojima was. Moxley's just kind of having these matches. The complete opposite. Like what I said, why Young Bucks, Lucha Brothers was so great was because you had a clear heel face dynamic you were invested in it this and the cm punk darby allen match was it was just like happening to as a celebration so to speak moxley did cut a really good promo to 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 lead into it which did add to my anticipation a lot more than that had been otherwise but knowing this is just a one-off i didn't really care much for it going in and i don't have that background of new japan to know much about this guy so after the bell, uh, Moxley's standing in the ring and it's, it's dragging. I'm not really sure why. And Minoru Suzuki's music hits and the crowd immediately got on its feet, chanting, holy shit, and singing along. Suzuki came in the ring, removed his jacket, 
They talked shit to each other and traded a ton of stiff shots until Suzuki choked him out and hit the gotch pile driver to a huge ovation. I figured they were going to be teasing a New Japan match, but instead, AEW later in the show announces that Mox is getting to fight Suzuki on the next Dynamite in his hometown of Cincinnati. That is a must-see match. Mox versus uh, Minoru Suzuki is what a lot of us fans who watch NJPW have wanted since the moment Mox started wrestling there. And not only are we getting it, we're getting it immediately. Now, I'm sure a story will come out about all the machinations of why this is happening now, why this is happening there. But Mox basically gets a dream match in his hometown. That's awesome. It's going to be a banger. I hope it main events Dynamite. I don't think it will, but I really hope it does. Um, This is awesome. I'm guessing you don't have any care for this just because you don't watch New Japan. But I'll tell you, uh, for me, as someone who does, it's great. I am curious what you as an outsider thought about him and Suzuki and that entire interaction. I had no idea who this person was. <laughs> um, I gathered quickly through Twitter that they had a match or something last year that was really, really good. So Minoru Suzuki is like, if you took Brock Lesnar and like shrunk him into a older Japanese man, that's that's what Minoru Suzuki is. Because I, I could see, you, I could see like the opposite of Kojima for being an older man. Yeah. Suzuki looked incredibly quick and he, he seemed to have, he's a strong style guy. He lays it in hard, like in real, like it's, it's, yeah, that's what I I gathered. But, um, am I crazy or did they already announce a Moxley match for the homecoming Cincinnati dynamite? I they announced he would be there. I don't think they announced a match. Okay. Okay. So, cause that was, that was weird too, but, um, I don't have much. So what, what did, so did Suzuki and, Mox do something last year that was incredible. That's what I, I don't think they wrestled before. Maybe I'm wrong and I'm totally forgetting it. Um, I'll look it up, uh, you know, while you're talking. But, you know, Moxley, this is the match. Like this is, you know, people want him to fight the champion uh, and some of the top tier wrestlers in terms of like from technical ability in New Japan. But Suzuki's the guy that fits like, Okay, not necessarily yeah, they, the deathmatch yeah. style, but the strong style stuff. They, that they fought in February 2020 at at uh, at New Beginning. Oh yes, that's right. Okay, that's why I forgot because it's been like 18 months yeah. basically since we had yeah. That. So yeah. That, so I, I mean, seeing people excited for it got me more interested in people talking about an amazing match I had. So I'm interested. I'm, I'm certainly interested in it now. Um, the other the only other thing was not knowing who Suzuki was. They play as entrance and you see on the video board they say his name pops up and everybody goes crazy but then it took like 30 seconds before he finally walked out which was which is weird and moxie had to like drag it out a little bit with his face his shock shocked face waiting for him to get out there um that was another thing where like i figure you you against a little production thing but if music hits people know who he is you see the name and then he then the camera pans down and he's walking out and the commentary is explaining who this guy is like just like make it a little bit smoother and tighter um may have added a little bit but i'm excited for dynamite and see what happens for sure yeah and uh, yeah th- th- they did have a very good match i think if i remember it fell short of my expectations but the fact that they're going to do it on dynamite now um man uh, it's going to be awesome I'm, I'm very excited for wednesday 
more because of that match than anything else. For them to book that from a pay-per-view into the next TV show is just fantastic. A couple more. We'll get out of here. We'll go through these pretty quick. Women's Casino Battle Royal. Hikaru Shida got eliminated way too early from this thing. I don't know why. Crowd booed, crowd booed that. Yeah, crowd booed. It was a really strange decision. Uh, Jade Cargill pressed and threw Layla Hirsch over the top rope in a great spot. I'd like to see a match between them. The crowd chanted for Ruby Soho as the Joker before she was even announced. And then after she made her entrance, they chanted for her again. She looked great. Nyla Rose eliminated Cargill. Ty Conti took out Penelope Ford. Rose eliminated Conti, leaving her with Ruby and Thunder Rosa. Uh, Rosa eventually took out Nyla, leaving the two best actual wrestlers in the match for last. They didn't really get to wrestle. They battled on the ring apron with Ruby hitting like a little heel kick uh, for the win. And then she got really happy and hugged the referee after. There was nothing wrong at all with this match, but it was an obvious cool down spot after the tag team banger. The highlight, of course, was Ruby's entrance. None of the wrestling was particularly noteworthy. I'll say like 2.75 stars in a C plus. And that's really just for Ruby debuting and like winning, which was the right booking, something I predicted. Actually, there were three things that we predicted differently. This was one of them. Um, it was obvious, though. I'm not saying I'm some savant here. Uh, but but Ruby seeing her there, seeing her happy, knowing that you know, look, maybe she won't get the screen time because they barely give the women any screen time, but they'll use her better, certainly, than WWE did. I'm very happy for her. She's an extremely talented women's wrestler. Extremely talented wrestler, period. I don't need to qualify it. Um, and I'm excited for her to one day, hopefully, become the AEW Women's Champion. Yes, happy for Ruby. Happy to see how happy she was. Like, that was kind of the mood around her the whole time. It was just, like, a lot of happiness. And it was on Twitter, too. And Liv Morgan tweeted about it, too. So that's really cool to see. But this thing was a mess. Yeah. And... And it's not because of the women. It's because of the way AEW does these battle royals. They have never clicked. The, the, the This casino battle royal with the suits and the groups coming in, they have not figured out how to do this right. They started it off on just having five people walk down together. Now they do one at a time, but the entrances are a bit staggered by a couple seconds. They try to have somebody come in and do a move and then do the next entrance, but the timing was all off. Layla Hirsch comes in and suplexes Nyla Rose and nobody's watching because there's somebody else doing an entrance behind her. It it, it it was, you can't tell who's coming down. You have to listen to Justin Roberts announce it because commentary is not quite sure what they're supposed to be talking about. You're not seeing anybody except the first person come down. Even each suit was different. The first group was the second group. They show the card, the card flips, and then someone comes out. Then they started playing music over the cards. It was a, it was, it was a mess. They got to figure out a better way to do Battle Royals because they just have not worked. The ending was great. So, you know, in the end, that's all we really remember. But this Battle Royal concept is, is not working. It's not. There's too many entrances simultaneously. You don't see enough action. They loaded the talented women at the end, the, the more talented women, the names, at the end, it just it wasn't great. Uh, Paul White fought QT Marshall. This was the ultimate popcorn match of all I wanted time. To lead with, I wanted to lead with this, but uh, Adam <laughs> uh, said no. It occurred between the two main events. There was interference. White hit a choke slam, but he could barely do it. He had to fall to one knee and like carefully place QT Marshall on the mat. He got the win in four minutes. This was total shit. It was an absolute waste of time. I would have much rather them just shown video packages. And, and preview the main event, then do this. I gave it 
Because, you know, I don't grade every match on Raw and SmackDown. I put a lot of shit grades on a lot of shit short matches on those shows. But on pay-per-views, I grade every match. I gave this 1.25 stars and a D, and I think that may be a little bit generous. Um, this was terrible. Yeah, I'm I'm giving it a one star. And again, doing this after CM Punk to cool people down before the main event, I think was the wrong decision. Because it actually cooled people down. It cooled them down Too much. so much, and yeah. they weren't ready for the main event. I, 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 so, yeah. And then the, we had the buy-in match, a 10-man tag team, Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor, Wheeler Yuta, Jurassic Express against HFO. Commentary basically spent the entire match laughing because it was all comedy. Uh, it was a tornado match, not billed as one. Everyone was seemingly legal at the same time. Ultimately, was it no, it wasn't. I'm just saying, like, oh, yeah, it might okay, as well yeah. have been because yeah, yeah, yeah. you never knew who was legal. Uh, ultimately, Jungle Boy won with the snare trap. The Butcher then returned from injury to attack Orange Cassidy after the match. A bunch of faces ran out from the locker room in a chaotic finish, even with some crazy stuff, including Jungle Boy reversing a splash while sitting on Luchasaurus's shoulders like they were playing chicken in a pool. This just wasn't for me at all. I know some people love this shit. I, there's so much on All Out that was for me. This wasn't. Uh, the fans were at least loud for it. I went 2.25 stars and a C. Oh, no, I thought this was fun. This okay. was exactly what you want to get from a pre-show. Just do some fun stuff. The crowd likes it. Hey, you do some fun spots that I hadn't seen before. And yeah, I'll give it a 2.75. It, it, oh, it was, it was, it was it, I just want to clarify what it was. It was a yeah. fine pre-show match. There was no harm in this match existing. A C is a C. It was just like, okay, it was there. It happened. You know, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It, it, my, my whole thing, I made this point in the last AEW episode we did, but, but last week's Dynamite, I think had five rescue run-ins. In, in two hours of television where someone runs it at the end. This goes even farther by having a run in on a match that already has 10 people. Involved. <laughs> right. Like, like by the end, every face in the damn locker room was in the ring because they were going to cut off orange Cassidy's hair. Apparently like it was just like, and you've got butcher returning again. There's so many people already out there. Love to see the butcher. Happy he's back. But this was an absolute massive humanity. And then lastly, Dan Lambert and the Men of the Year cut a promo from a suite during the buy-in show. The Men of the Year said they're cocky but dangerous and wanted to try something new, so they teamed up with the UFC fighters and they want to fight. They dared people to step up to them. It was strange, and I was certainly hoping nothing else would get added to the stacked card, but Tony Schiavone seemed to indicate that they were going to do something on the pay-per-view. I'm very happy they didn't. I'm not against... UFC talent. I think AEW is very smart for trying to do a little bit of crossover here. I just don't know that they have the time and space for it. We just talked earlier in the show about how loaded their roster is, how little TV time they have to get everyone involved, the big names as it is. I don't know that you need to do a UFC style program with American Top Team. I'll judge it when I see it. I'm assuming they'll do probably like a 10-man tag team match with like the men of the year, three UFC dudes and five faces from AEW. But I don't know. I'm, I, I love Dan Lambert when he cuts promos, but I don't, the storyline and what they're doing, I'm not really for it. Yeah, it's 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 been a bit hit and miss. I don't really know what the point of it is. If you just want to have Dan Lambert show up every once in a while and shit on the fans, like, <laughs> sure, I'll take it. it. Yeah. I, I mean, the one he cut where he basically called everybody online pedophiles was a little weird. But the next one, when he kind of just got to the point, that was that was much better. 
I just I, right. I don't really know what the end of this all is. If it's a if it's a ten man tag or something, fine. But it, it, you're right. It's it's adding more faces to an already bloated show all the time. And we'll see. I like Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, and glad they're doing something. Glad Scorpio Sky may have that five year extension or whatever they said. But um, just guys I'd like to see more of, other than just kind of standing around. I, I got one more question here. What, where did you watch this show? Like, was it on BR or did you use Fight TV? So I've used Bleacher Report for every AEW pay-per-view to date. And I've ordered every single one, of course, and watched every single one. Um, however, because they were transitioning from the BR Live app to the Bleacher Report app, I decided to instead order it on Fight TV just because I've used it before. They have so many big events, I knew it would be stable. Uh, I don't know what you're going to ask me, but what I'll say is my stream, it didn't cut out at all on Fight TV, but the sound was slightly delayed. Um, The frame rate seemed to be a little bit off where on occasion there'd be some tracking issues. And like when John Moxley was running the ropes in particular, I noticed like the camera seemed to pan behind him a little bit. It was not the best feed for a pay-per-view and that did bother me. But why'd you ask? Because my brother and I, my brother came over, we had, we used the BR app. Um, we, for the first time we, he, we hadn't, we'd been using BR live before I used his account and we'd watch it that way, but had similar problems. One of which, by the way, you cannot cast through the bleacher report app. That is a problem. And I, I saw a lot of people on Twitter making a similar point. What I had to do, I had to pull it up on my computer, plug in an cast, HDMI, oh. cast, I had to cast the tab sure. to the TV. So like you, it wasn't the best quality. It wasn't bad, but it was like watching it in standard definition. And every half an hour, the audio would just go out. And I just I would have to refresh the page and it would come back. So I don't know why they don't put uh, these on HBO Max, um, considering it's all the same company and it's a streaming service that clearly works and does well i don't know what the future obviously br live has been folded into br but well have you ever let me ask you a question have you ever used hbo max yes all right because sure they have a lot of shows and and when you stream those shows it looks good but the the app is terrible they they, they, it's difficult to navigate but but the but the the product they give you is fine i'm just saying i i wish i would have done fight tv you know in hindsight so I'm, i'm that's what i was interested to see how Fight TV went for you. Maybe BR Live will be better. BR will be better the next time. But yeah. your point about transitioning over, uh, it did cause some issues for me. And, and I, I'm sure some listeners may have had issues as well. So yeah, I mean, I use a Roku, so I just, I don't have the issues. I don't need to cast, but yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. Um, let's wrap up here with our AEW All Out post-show grades. We always do this. We give our pre-show grades. Then we say, hey, did it meet, exceed, or fall below? our expectations. I do have the fan poll, the results of those, but Chris, I always let you start this section. So what was your post show grade for AEW all out? So the show itself, I thought was fine. There was nothing that, uh, there was only one match that was bad, but only one match that was great. Everything else to me was kind of okay. And you throw in Daniel Bryan and, and, and Adam Cole at the end, and that's going to bump things up. 
I think I end up at a B plus. I, I had an A minus coming in. I thought it was going to be a B plus wrestling and the returns were going to push up to an A minus. Instead, the wrestling put me at a B and the finish put me up to a B plus. Wow. I'm I'm very surprised that we're on opposite sides of this because I thought this was the best AEW pay-per-view to date before the two debuts at the end of the show. Now, I'm not saying yeah, I, that I, I wouldn't have. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that every single match was awesome. I gave you my grades. You guys can go back and and listen. I gave a couple A's, a bunch of B's um, and a couple C's. There was a long card. There were some down moments, but none of them were so down that it was worth more than noting for a moment on this show. We didn't go on a massive complaint spree like we sometimes will do, you know, potentially with a WWE pay-per-view. The tag team steel cage shit was the match of the night. The CM Punk match was the second best. And then on top of all of that, the Chris Jericho stuff, you add the close of the show, the Brian Danielson, the Adam Cole, the excitement from the crowd. I think there's some people coming out of this. I saw some people saying this was the best wrestling pay-per-view since WrestleMania 17. I think you're out of your mind, okay? No. Um, I saw a lot of other people saying this is an A-plus show, the best wrestling pay-per-view of all time. I think you're absolutely out of your mind. However, I think this was a great wrestling pay-per-view. Um, very close, maybe on the same exact plane as Money in the Bank, and NXT TakeOver 36. I think they all were basically equal, give or take. You can, you know, the wrestling maybe was a little bit better on TakeOver, but the moments were better on All Out. Money in the Bank really surprised us with a couple things. You can really just go back and forth and, and pick which was your favorite. But I think all three of those shows were very similar. And because of that, I'm going to give this the same grade, basically, that I gave those. And that's an A-. minus. This was a tremendous pay-per-view, well worth the $50. And Chris, I'm a little surprised you and I flipped on this. I thought you were going to- Me too. I thought you were going to go A or higher. Um, I almost went A, actually. But as I was kind of breaking down the card here and we're talking it through, I'm like, you know what? I can't really go A when I didn't have that many matches that fit into that category. It's tough to right. kind of do that. Um, but an A- minus is exceptionally strong. Now, I'm going to tell you what the listeners said. Yes. 83% of respondents said this was an A pay-per-view. Wow. 12% said it was a B, 3% to C, and 2% to DRF. If you thought that was a DRF pay-per-view, you are out of your mind. Maybe I could see someone thinking it was a C in some world, but the floor of that show was like a B minus if, if you're a crazy yeah. person. 95% of respondents said it was an A or B, and that is almost identical to TakeOver and Money in the Bank. TakeOver, however, only had 70% A. Money in the Bank had 75% A. So in terms of people who were ranking these three, theoretically, against one another, more people thought this was the best of those three pay-per-views over the last two months. No matter how you slice it, Chris, AEW All Out was a fantastic show. Not only was the wrestling good, the moments were exciting. Uh, they created headlines. And now we go in to September. And honestly, I love that wrestling is kicking ass. But for you and I, for our lives, 
It's the worst time of year for wrestling to start kicking ass because we yeah. just started week one of the college football season. We have the NFL starting this coming Thursday, and I'm going to just lose my mind. I have way too much sports and or sports entertainment to watch on my television. Um, but All Out was great. It capped what was a fantastic weekend, I think, for you and I in terms of college football and wrestling and just everything all together. And man, I am more bullish about professional wrestling than I've been in a very long time. And I'm not going to repeat my comments, but we did an entire state of AEW versus state of WWE, you know, conversation earlier in this show. And I think that's something that we're going to probably need to revisit maybe even once a month going forward, because I think a tide has turned in professional wrestling. It, it, it is becoming impossible to not compare these companies. Uh, I, as we've done the, the, the Tuesday show and the Thursday show, they're starting to bleed together a little bit because you can't help but compare them because AEW has raised its game to a point where you, you kind of have to. And we assume people who listen to the show watch most wrestling. We have a lot of hardcore fans who listen, but this is a great time to be a wrestling fan. It is. We, we have not had this in two decades. I was in elementary school the last time I was experiencing, I was experiencing something like this. I like you was a WWE guy. So there's going to be a lot of people standing one company over the other, hating that one company is getting talked about more than the other. We want both AW and WWE to be great. We generally like both of them. And I'm excited to see what happens next. AEW has thrown a lot of punches these last couple of weeks. And let's see if WWE is going to throw some back. Because if they finally realize that they should, I think that's going to take this to a whole new level. Yeah, the question is, what can they do? When can they do it? And will it make any impact at the level that AEW has made an impact on this very night. I'm extremely curious to find out. And look, I know so many of you sent us direct messages, sent us tweets, asking questions, wanting your thoughts on the show. If we read them, this thing would have gone two hours. We couldn't have done it. It was just, it's way too late at night. I appreciate all of you, you know, listening to the show, doing the live show with us, following us on Twitter, being engaged. I promise you, we will revisit any tweets or DMs that you sent that we either didn't discuss on the show or maybe we have new thoughts about this coming Thursday, next time we talk, AEW. This is what the schedule looks like for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast coming up. On Tuesday, we're going to talk all things WWE, a disappointing edition of SmackDown, this coming Raw that has a couple rematches and honestly is really not looking that great. What a great way for me to sell Tuesday's show. Hey, come listen to us complain about WWE. No, I mean, there's positives. We had the Roman Reigns-Finn Balor match and some good stuff did happen on SmackDown, but it was a disappointing show compared to recent SmackDowns. Uh, But we're going to break down all of it, like I said, on our Tuesday WWE edition. And then on Thursday, we're going to talk about the last NXT of whatever this era, the black and gold era, I suppose, because on September 14th, They're introducing a new NXT, new logo, new set, and apparently a new direction. And we're going to have to see what that looks like, as well as everything that happens on AEW Dynamite this coming Wednesday, the episode after All Out. Rampage, we already covered on today's show. So luckily, we don't have to talk about that. Should keep it a short episode. That way, we can read your DM slides and tweets, and certainly anything else you send us throughout the rest of the week. So 
Vintage Chris Vanini, of course, as always, thank you for joining me for this instant analysis. A reminder before we get out of here that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is so please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Be marks for this show. Leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love it. Let them know why they should listen. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. That way you can join in these pre- and post-show polls. You can listen to our live shows ahead of pay-per-views and you can chat, send in DMs and tweets and just follow our wrestling tweets all week long because we tweet live during all four major wrestling shows. So for Vintage Cristanini, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein. I will bid you adieu and leave you with three final words. Bye for now.